Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we're back with another episode of Tennis Talk that only we can provide, streaming on all your podcast platforms. Analyst and former top five player Jimmy Arias will join the show in a little bit. We've got a lot to talk about with Jimmy, including Roger Federer opting to have another surgical procedure that's going to keep him off the court until 2021. Nick Kyrgios is brutally honest thoughts on having a coach and what he wants to get out of his tennis career and the continued turmoil around plans to salvage the 2020 U.S. Open. But we start with an interview with two-time Wimbledon champion and current number 13, Petra Kvitova. She joined Lindsay Davenport and Steve Weissman on Tennis Channel Live to discuss what it was like to play again in the recent All-Czech event in Prague, the prospect of bigger events without fans, and how she was able to recover physically and emotionally after that 2017 home invasion incident, and how she regained her form both on and off the court. It's Petra Kvitova on the TC Live podcast. And we are so happy to have Petra Kvitova joining us now on Tennis Channel Live. Uh, Petra, uh, unfortunately, you will not be able to win your third Wimbledon title this year. That event has been canceled. No tennis for three months now. Uh, how have you been? What have you been up to? Well, yeah, it's been crazy time so far. Um, staying at home um, in Czech Republic and doing such a different stuff that we are normally doing. So, um, yeah, no traveling, no packing and missing tennis, of course, and missing Wimbledon especially. It's pretty close to my heart, so uh, it's been really tough to hear uh, bad news. But I know that the world is, you know, dealing with something more important than just the sport. So I hope that one day everything will be back in normal. Well, we've been talking to all the players about what they have been doing during this pandemic and if they were practicing at all. Were you practicing in the beginning? Were you able to take some time off? And how hard has it been to motivate to practice with no return date yet set? Well, when uh, I came from Indian Wells, I took some days off. Uh, I've been still doing something in my apartment, some, you know, fitness or whatever I could do. But I didn't play tennis. Uh, everything was closed and we we couldn't play tennis outside and even indoor so that's um, how I how I did how I spend my time uh, just in my apartment I just ate exercised and slept <laughs> uh, but we did see you out on the court just a couple of weeks ago playing an event in your home country what was that experience like it seemed like the new social distancing rules were in effect there weren't tons of people around what was the atmosphere like yeah, it was such a different. I mean, I was pretty scared before the tournament, how everything will go. I didn't even practice that much before. So I played like twice, three times uh, per week. And uh, uh, playing matches is just totally different. And playing without the fans, it's, it's been weird experience. Uh, but like overall, the tournament was brilliant. Uh, 
all the players been almost there and played on the, such a high level. So it's it's been really nice, you know, to see all the faces again and kind of be a little bit normal. So we've talked um, about the U.S. Open potentially starting and going ahead with no fans, with all these rules in effect. How do you feel like it would be to play a Grand Slam under some of those conditions? And would you be open to it? It's a very tough decision to make, for sure. I know uh, they want to hold it, really. Um, it would be very tough for me playing Grand Slam without the fans. I just do have experience from from the tournament we just had here in Czech Republic. And it's very sad. And I'm, I'm not really sure how it would uh, be if we are playing Grand Slam without the fans, how we going to handle it, how we going to fight, how the emotions will be there. And... Uh, that's really one thing which I gonna miss so much on the, you know, emotionally to play tennis. We are playing for the fans, and the fans are there for us, and that's really a big connection. So I'm not really sure how, how we can handle it to play without the fans. So it would be very difficult to, to say yes or no for sure. I know it's many reasons to play, many reasons not to play, but it's very it's big extreme right now. So it will be very tough decision. Tough decision indeed, and, and whether they are in the stands or not, you have so many fans, Petra. I mean, your fight, your spirit, and uh, the way you have been able to come back and be a champion when tennis was almost taken away from you. Uh, I read that you got a chance to speak with Monica Sellis, who went through a, a similar situation. What did she say to you, and how did that help you? It's been a great experience. Uh, Monica came to me and wanted to introduce uh, herself to me, which should be opposite side. Uh, so it was very big surprise for me. And uh, she's such a nice girl. And I, it's been great to talk with her about, you know, a little bit different things, which probably only us two could understand what we've been through. Uh, I would say Monica had a little bit different story happening on the court. Uh, that was the place that happened to her. So I would say that for her it was much tougher to come back to the court. Um, for me, it was tougher to be at home in the apartment. And tennis court for me was the motivation to come back. And and that was kind of was my safe place. So it's it's been great to talk with her. Definitely it's nice uh, to see someone who been through in the similar situation uh, came back such a strong and you know won it a lot after the accident so she is a really a great idol we've had so many incredible storylines the last few years in women's tennis um one of my favorites was your run to the australian open final last year um how emotional and how amazing was that run to get back to a grand slam final for you it's been incredible. I couldn't really imagine me being in the final again. Um, of course, it was my motivation to be there. But, you know, the dream or the motivation is totally different compared to what's really happening. And for me there, it was such an amazing time. Uh, playing for two weeks, incredible well. I know I didn't win the final. It's been painful like hell. But... Uh, Still being in the final was, was great, and uh, I'm very happy for it. I would say that maybe it's a much stronger win 
that maybe winning the Grand Slam just to be back on the court after everything which I've been through playing the final of the Grand Slam and uh, Melbourne which I always love to play and um, yeah it's it's been really great and very emotional now looking ahead do you have any more events that you're scheduled to play in the coming weeks or the coming months well will we see you back on the court anytime soon Yes, you will. Um, we're going to play some events in Czech Republic. We do have like a club matches as well, but mostly we do, we're going to play some exhibition matches, something like, uh, you know, events like we are playing two teams uh, against each other. It's my team against team of Karolina Pliskova. And each, in each team, we do have like a five, five, six players playing to each other. And uh, yeah, uh, we will see. Hopefully, it will be funny. Um, it's not really many fans uh, still there, but hopefully, the fans in the TV can enjoy it. We'll be watching Petra. Truly, one of the most incredible, inspiring stories in sports history, I would say. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe. Look to see you back on the court soon. Uh, you know, eat, exercise, and sleep. It's the best <laughs> we can do right now. Thanks for taking some time with Thank us. You. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you so you, Petra. much. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Few in the game have the flair and positive outlook that our next guest on the TCLI podcast possesses. Bethany Maddox-Sands, or BMS as you might know her, has won a combined nine Grand Slam doubles titles and is still going strong after winning the last two mixed doubles championships at the U.S. Open with Jamie Murray. She joined Lindsay Davenport and Steve Weissman to discuss her excitement to play in the upcoming exhibition event in Charleston, her work on the online feature series Tennis United, and her thoughts on what the WTA schedule could look like for the remainder of 2020. It's the one and only Bethany Maddox-Sands on the TC Live podcast. And we are excited to have Bethany join us today here on Tennis Channel Live. Uh, Bethany, I feel like even when you're playing, uh, you're doing a million different things from the broadcasting to the social media to the fashion line. So now that you know, we've been off for three months, how has that quarantine been for you? No, it's it's been pretty wild, honestly. I've been I've probably been busier now than I am when I'm on the road, actually getting ready for matches. I feel like that's my time to like to myself and to get focused. But it's it's been a lot of fun. Look, there's a lot that we can't control right now, so I've just kind of taken it on myself, challenged myself to figure out what I can control, which is still training a little bit, still practicing a little bit, having some fun, adding some happy hours, hanging out with my dog, which I never get to do on the road. So. Uh, it's, it's been pretty wild. I've been doing Tennis United, been doing all over Instagram, doing Insta Lives for WTA. So I've been pretty social, at least online. <laughs> oh, that's great. We've had so much fun following you. We saw that you did a fishing trip a couple days ago, had some nice outings. So when we talk about how have you been able to balance practicing, not knowing when you're coming back, to also having some fun during this quarantine? You know what? I, I feel like I maybe have a little bit of an advantage and it's kind of crazy to say this, but because I've been injured in the past and I've had to deal with 
uh, weeks off, months off, and not knowing when I'm going to come back. And I think it's really about the daily process. For me, from the beginning of quarantine, I mean, I was in Indian Wells when everything got canceled. We drove home to Phoenix. And really from that day, I kept my daily routines. I mean, it was easy to say, eh, I could practice anytime. I could wake up anytime. I could eat anytime. And I think it was really important that I stuck with some sort of structure and still having fun. Now, when I was on the tour, I actually had a really good balance of enjoying myself on the road as well. I think both are important. And that's where I feel like finding this balance has been really helpful in, in this time. And that's why I still enjoy going out on the weekends. And we went fishing this weekend um, out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona is great. Um, and then we're spending a lot of time at home. And, you know, again, I'm still training, still practicing. For the most part, staying pretty strict with my diet so that when I do come back, I'm feeling pretty good. But I think it's, you know, it's still, there's still room to enjoy yourself. So I feel like I have a, I have a really good balance. Yeah, that's a fantastic way to look at it all. One of the best pieces of news we've had the last few weeks is this event coming up in Charleston in a couple weeks' time. We know that you're going to be there. This is one of the favorite stops for all the WTA players. And Bethany, you are a team captain. Can you tell us about how your choice <laughs> for your teammates, how, what's the thought process there? I listen, I first of all, I'm so excited that Charleston is having an event. I think that this is one of my favorite swings going from Indian Wells to Miami and ending in Charleston. Like I love that U.S. swing and I was really Charleston, seriously, one of my favorite cities. Bob is amazing there. Eleanor. I mean, you know, the whole crew that works at the tournament there. I think they did an amazing job to put together this team event, uh, raising some funds for essential workers. Uh, I mean, they're big in helping the community, bringing Charleston together. It's such a massive tennis community. And if you've been there, you can really feel it, especially on site. So I'm really excited for this. And as far as picking teams, so it's Madison Keys is the other captain. So she's the only person I know that can't be on my team. But uh, <laughs> as far as actually picking, I don't know if we're doing it, if it's going to be a draft style. Like I, I got to talk to Bob and Eleanor about this <laughs> and figure out how, how we're going to do this. But we have some amazing players uh, in North America that are all going to Charleston. And it's really, it's going to be a fun event. I think we're going to play around a little bit with the scoring system. Uh, we're going to make it really interactive. So I think it's, it's going to be a blast. A bunch of Grand Slam champions. It'll be interesting to so see which way you go. I mean, you got Sloan, you got Bianca, you got Sophia, uh, Vika. <laughs> There's a lot of top-notch talent that's going to be like in. This is like an all-sport team event here. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, Bethany, you, you've mentioned the Tennis United, the WTA, and the ATP have come together for this uh, online social media content. Yourself, Vashik Pospisil, I've been following it. It's been so fun, so cool. I, I loved when you had all the Canadians on. Uh, who's been your favorite <laughs> guest so far and why? Oh, man, you're going to make me pick a favorite? Yeah. I feel like I've actually feel like I've gotten to know all the players a little bit more in, in these conversations. I remember uh, chatting with Carolina Pushkova, and when she, we got on the Zoom call, she was like, damn, this is the first time I've seen another tennis player in, like, months other than my sister. Like, and everyone has been pretty chatty. I mean, we had an, we ended up having like an hour-long chat with Feliciana Lopez and Vika, and it was half that conversation didn't even make the video. I think everyone was just like we're all so used to seeing each other week to week, and and it's funny because when we're at tournaments, it's kind of business, and everyone's getting ready for matches. They have their team there, but now that we're kind of all relaxing and just uh, at home, we we actually all kind of miss each other, and I think we kind of realize it. So. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, really, we've had a lot of interesting players. And I think the biggest part was that both tours could come together. It's bringing the tennis community together. It's giving fans an inside look at all my friends on tour and their personalities. I feel like 
tennis is one of those sports that sometimes you only see one side of everyone. And that's that like beast mode, savage competitor on the court. And you don't always see, you know, what everyone's personality is like, what are they off the court? And so that's what tennis United has been. I've gotten to know Vashik a lot better. Uh, I obviously I knew him before, but co-hosting with him has been a blast. So I think it was really an amazing idea and we've really gotten a good response. So we, I just finished recording actually uh, n- next week's episode uh, yesterday. So it's, it will be a good one. Oh, we can't wait to watch it. So Bethany, nine Grand Slam doubles titles, the most recent being with Jamie Murray. How much have you enjoyed that partnership playing with Jamie? <laughs> Jamie's such a gentleman. Uh, and we kind of, ha- I kind of hashtag the team name, the gentleman and the B, but seriously, he's such <laughs> an awesome guy. He's super nice. I mean, his, his court awareness, his hands at the net are just really incredible. And I feel like we just have that chemistry on the court. And uh, we made the finals earlier this year. Obviously, we lost in a breaker at Australian Open, but uh, we, we really play well together. And for me, that's what doubles is. I mean, doubles can be super social. I love playing with my friends. It's actually kind of nice having a buddy out there to kind of chat with. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're, we're out there to win and we're competitive and we're talking about strategy. But for the most part, we're kind of goofing around, just being relaxed and, and enjoying ourselves because that's when we kind of bring the best tennis out of each other. And Jamie, Jamie's been awesome. I miss Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we miss all of you. Uh, two-time yeah. defending mixed doubles champs at the U.S. Open. Uh, Bethany, th- there was a proposed WTA schedule that was put out online by a couple of WTA players yesterday. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, what do you think about it? And uh, when do you think we're going to get back to playing? You know what? I, I still think there's just a, a lot of loose ends that need to be figured out. I, as far I think traveling is going to be the big one. I mean, look, tennis is so international. I think it's a matter of can every player make it on site? You know, what are we doing as far as, you know, there's different laws on quarantine if they're going back home? It, you know, it's I think unlike other sports where these team sports can kind of stay in the U.S., all travel together, all stay together. Tennis isn't really like that. And it's not really used to being like that. So I think it will take a little, as much as I'd love to get competitive tennis going again, uh, as we all miss it and we all want to get back to, to our jobs, I, I think there's still a few details to be ironed out. But I'm, I'm really glad that the tours are all communicating and coming together. I think the WTA has done a great job chatting with players. Our player reps have done a really good job keeping information flowing. And, you know, I think that right now it's just about working together to figure out what's the healthiest way to get the tour back up and running. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Love him or hate him, you always listen when Nick Kyrgios holds court. You just do. On a recent podcast, the exciting Australian was perfectly honest when it came to a variety of topics, most notably his disdain for coaches, considering them in general terms to be a waste of money. Ouch. Kyrgios also said winning a Grand Slam was not his goal, opting to just enjoy the game, the tour, and everything that comes with it. Alrighty then. The Aussies' comments have sparked all sorts of reactions, from the tennis world and from people in the general public as well. And on Tennis Channel Live, Jimmy Arias and Lindsey Davenport weighed in on what to make of Kyrgios' honest assessment. According to Nick, Jimmy, uh, he says a coach is pointless. It would be a waste of money. Your thoughts? 
I mean, because I'm a coach, I'm still going to agree with him on this. In this instance, um, especially for Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios is a guy, when you look at all these things that he wrote, he's a guy that tries to not have accountability for anything. He doesn't want somebody behind him saying, you should be trying, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. He just wants to do it his way. He's a personality. It's great for tennis in a, a lot of ways. It drives me crazy. If I was Nick Kyrgios when I'm 55 years old, I'd be hitting myself in the head every day thinking I could have won a whole bunch of slams if I could have just gotten it together mentally. But it's great for the game to have a guy like this in some ways. People want to watch him and watch what you never know what's going to happen from five minutes within five minutes. He could be going along great and then absolutely lose it then make a joke and talk to someone in the stands. It's it's good to see he's a personality. I wish someday he'd actually say to himself, you know what, let me see, let me put it all on the line. And my, I think his ego can't quite handle putting it all on the line and not coming through. So he looks for reasons not to put it on the line. Yeah, we'll see if that changes as he gets older, maybe a little bit more mature. The irony is that if anyone's ever watched the Labor Cup, he is in the ears of his teammates all the time, giving them coaching advice, and he is so good at it. He clearly sees the game well, and he is able to relay that message to his teammates in a great way. He just doesn't like hearing it, and it, I hope. I mean, we all say and know that he's one of the biggest talents the sport has ever seen, one of the best spot servers, his ability to handle pace. But the, to be a successful tennis player requires everything as a whole. And the mental part is just as important as the other parts of the game. And that is where he is lacking against some of these top players, the physicality also to go three out of five sets. But he has so much time. A lot of things could change. Um, and if he was able to kind of get it all together, it would be so huge also for the sport. Absolutely. He says he's too far gone. He's only 25 years old. And, Jimmy, I found it interesting. I mean, he also talked about the fact that he says his goal is not to win a Grand Slam. He says, if I could just be on the beers every time I play afterwards, I, I just want to chill out. I think the sport's taken a little bit too seriously. Doesn't think he can go four to five hours, seven matches in a row. But – Everybody out there thinks this guy is, can win multiple majors. I mean, where's the disconnect? As I said, he is trying to take away any pressure. So he wants you to think he doesn't even care if he wins a major. I'm sure somewhere deep down inside he wants to and he cares. It's just difficult for him to put it on the line. And he has that sort of excuse for his ego. I haven't trained hard, which he doesn't. He isn't in good enough shape to win three out of five set matches day after day. He recognized that. And by the way, if you say I can't win a major and I can't go three out of five sets, then you're right. If you're saying it, those things are not going to happen for you. You are going to not win a Grand Slam and not be able to play seven matches. And with that, now on the TC Live podcast, calling in uh, – on the phone line here is Jimmy Arias from TC Live, former tour vet and the owner of, I believe, the uh, fastest growing uh, mango tree in Florida. Jimmy, thanks for calling in. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're absolutely right. My mango tree is incredible so far. I'm very excited about it. Lighting up when you thanks talk about me. it. Yeah, no, it's it's a blast for sure. I wanted to get you on this this week's podcast for a lot of reasons. And we just played that curious uh, clip of his comments on the uh, podcast with his friend in Australia, where he just outlined uh, his thoughts on coaching, his thoughts on what he wants to get out of his career, his his approach to the game, so to speak. And uh, I thought you made a great point. It doesn't necessarily mean that he, he believes it and that he's not going to give his effort out there. This is just in the back of his mind. Well, if I lose, this is why. 
Um, listen, first, first off, I, I want to say I love the fact that Kyrgios is in tennis. He's mm-hmm. great for the game because he's different than everybody else. No question about it. Now, the flip side to that is I'm a guy that was five foot nine and I competed very hard to be able to, to play with, you know, sort of bigger, stronger opponents. And so it killed me to watch a guy that has the weapons and the talent that he has sort of semi throwing it away because he struggles to compete. And then the next thing that I always seem to talk about is me being a junior psychiatrist or psychologist in some way. So I'm not sure what I'm saying is true, but it seems true to me. And that is that his ego is something that can't quite handle losing to somebody that he doesn't deem worthy. Yeah. So that's why he still throw away a match or tank a match. And just so he can tell his ego, his ego can say, well, I would have won if I tried. And that's why I think when he plays, he doesn't find, his ego doesn't get injured when he loses to Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. So that's, he can put it on the line against those guys. And then you get to see what an incredible player is. He's, He's right there really with them. He's a few points away against those guys and he's beaten them at times as well. So he's, He's probably the fourth best player in the world today if, if mentally he was able to compete the way he does against them. And for some reason, in team competitions, when he plays in team competitions, he puts it on the line. Um, and I, if I were him, I would try to find a way to sort of, I don't know, trick myself into feeling that I'm playing a team competition even when it's just him in a tournament because I think there's going to be a time when he's, you know, retired and done with tennis where he's going to think to himself, man, I could have probably won a few events, big events, few majors, had I just been able to sort of put my ego aside and yeah. just compete and learn to love to compete. Um, and I hope he can do it. He's still reasonably young. Um, as far as the other stuff he's talking about, not having a coach, that's all part of, uh, he doesn't want accountability yeah. on that side of things. He doesn't want anyone telling him anything. So, um, He'd rather just do his own thing. Um, there was a part of that comment that I, and I hate to admit it because I'm sort of a coach now. I'm working at IMG um, where I feel like there's only so much a coach can do yeah. in a sense for a tennis player, um, when, especially when you're at his level already. So you're not going to do anything to his strokes. He has his game and you can't actually coach him when he's on the court, which would be, the best time when he's playing a match, if you could talk to him then and try to get his head in the right place, that would be advantageous for him. Yeah. But he's on his own once he's on the court, so a coach isn't going to really be able to help him. Um, so I understand his point in some ways with the uh, with why waste the money on a coach and I don't want to listen to him anyway. So much has been made too, and I, and I do think you're exactly right in that in that regard. But so much has been made about the mental side of it. He brought up um, in his approach to maybe not trying and having the goal being to win a Grand Slam that I think is an underrated part is the fitness level. You're talking about winning seven best of five matches. Do you think a coach could help him there at least have that accountability to if he were to explore that option, get him on the practice court, get him on the weight room on a better conditioning plan? Because I do think that's a part of it too that. He's lost in Grand Slams to some of the best players by a few points, but also to some, some guys that we know he can beat. And I wonder if it's the fitness level of having to go through all those best of five matches. Yeah, but you know what? To me, that all goes hand in hand with everything else. So that's just another excuse for his ego, that he's not in great shape. So if he actually put the work in 
I would think it would be more painful to tank, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you, you, you've hurt no yourself while you're training. You hated it. And then to go and tank would be, I don't know, that would be hard. I, I had that sense because I didn't work that hard off the court in my career because we didn't really until Yvonne Lendl sort of started that trend of uh, getting in great shape. So it took me a, a little while to, to sort of join in on that um, get in great shape thing. And I remember feeling kind of nervous my first year was after a really tough off season, just thinking, I don't want this, all that work to go to waste. So it did like almost add a level of pressure in some way. And I think he's always trying to run from pressure. That's, you know, he needs to talk to Billy Jean King. Pressure is a privilege. Yeah. He's right about that. I, I get it. And I get it from your perspective and players that see all this natural ability that they, that he just doesn't want to put the work in and he could be an incredible champion if he does. I also understand why, even with all he's said and all that he's done, you hear legends of the game like John McEnroe say this week he'd love the coach and we'd probably butt heads, but the reward would be would be you know incredible. And I do think Jimmy, I mean, I'm curious to hear what you think, but I, I think that if he ever wanted a coach, if he ever opened up to that, regardless of what he says and what he does, the, the line would be out the door. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, because everybody knows so far he's underachieved at, at a monumental level, and any coach that gets a hold of him, if he does listen. Um, you know, and he does start putting it on the line, he's going to have great results, regardless of what the coach says or does, other than getting him to, to compete well. If you can get him to compete well, he's going to do better than he's done so far. High risk, high reward for sure. And, uh, yeah, I, just a final point. I'm with you on everything and, and everything that he does, just the competition, just compete. That That's the one thing. I can put up with everything, not liking the other opponent, even getting a little mouthy out there, but – not not bringing it day in day out is hard to. I, I actually with. love I actually love that stuff. I love <laughs> that he's gotten yeah. in like arguments with other players. I love yeah. that he goes and talks to fans in the middle of a match and says, "Where do I serve?" I mean, that's that's awesome. That's cool. That um, tanking to me, that's tough to swallow. I can't yeah. I, I I can't watch it. That drives me nuts. We hope to get the best out of him, uh, Jimmy Arias, here on the TC Live podcast. Someone that we don't have to worry about tanking ever is Roger Federer. Uh, he is going to have, or he has had his second arthroscopic procedure, uh, leg uh, procedure there, and he's going to be out until 2021. He said there was a setback in his rehab, and he's. it seems it would appear, Jimmy, on the surface playing it safe because we don't know what 2020 is going to entail the rest of the season, if there is, if there is even going to be one. So I look at this, I look at it as Federer playing safe, but I also look at it as a 39-year-old guy that's saving up for another run. But uh, in that in that sense, Jimmy, he's got a lot of miles on that body. So he's, he's getting safe, he's getting uh, recovered, but you got to question what's left in the tank for, for any athlete as great as Federer is at that age. I mean, as I said on TC Live one of the days, he's sort of Superman so far, but Father Time has always won in always. the past and it's got to win at some point. And one of, you know, the first things that tends to go is you just lose a step or a half a step. And the funny thing about Federer is you don't think of him as an amazing mover in some ways because he's not defending. So, you, you know, you think of Nadal as running down every ball, Djokovic, Murray, they defend so much. Federer actually has such good footwork and such good speed that he doesn't have like he's even defending. And if he loses half step, he's not going to be in position to play as aggressively as he plays now and still make the shot. 
And so he won't be the same player. It's a little concerning when you're having a couple of knee surgeries that, and you're 39, you're going to be 39 years old. You're probably, I mean, come on, you got to lose a step at some point, don't you, pretty yeah. soon? And we'll see if he can compete, at, at, you know, once he does. I know he'll be able to compete. He'll still be top 10 in the world, even if he loses a half a step. But he won't be beating Djokovic, you know, Nadal type of guys. And probably I'll have trouble with Dominic Team and Medvedev and those sort of sissy pot new guys coming up. Yeah, he's already playing in that limited schedule, so it's not like a card he can pull like I'm just going to dial back. I mean, he's playing a pretty limited schedule as is, and I know everyone wants to compare to end of 16, getting that surgery after Wimbledon, coming in fresh in 2017, and and making a run. I mean, that was four years ago. 35 to 39 is no joke, but I do wonder if this was just him looking at the calendar ahead because we don't know when we're going to see tennis again Jimmy, I, I mean, we're not there with Federer. We don't know how serious this was, but uh, if there was ever a time to just take a take a wellness check, I think this would be it. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I think, look, he didn't play clay a couple of years with the French. I know he went back last year, so maybe he's thinking, well, I'm not going to play on clay as my first thing, and then the U.S. Open is still so up in the air. You're right. Maybe I'll just take this year off, get as ready as I can to start next year. What do you think the tour looks like uh, within the locker room with the players that are competing against him or, or for the same tournaments week in, week out? I know it's hard to say what this year will look like, but when a guy like Federer, who doesn't hardly ever take any time off or get injured, isn't in that locker room, is it an opportunity mindset or is there a general sense of missing him because maybe the eyeballs aren't there? What What is it like, do you think, in that locker room when Federer is not there? Well, I think for the most part it's, it's opportunity for a lot of the the players that's how they're going to be thinking they're not so worried about how many people are watching tennis players when you're when you're on the tour you just assume that the money is is always there you don't even realize that you know take sponsors and all and tv rights and all that type of stuff so it takes interest in the game and Federer has been you know he's a super star of incredible proportions so to lose him is terrible for tennis you're going to lose him eventually obviously um, but I think from the player's perspective, they're thinking one less guy I got to worry about. So fantastic for me. Yeah, one less top guy to uh, worry about and more opportunity to make some income for sure. Uh, Jimmy Arias on the TC Live podcast. The last thing we want to go over is this U.S. Open plan. The constant, I would say, turmoil is at a point because there's some, some serious discussions. It's getting heated as we thought it would, but... The idea of having a U.S. Open during the current coronavirus pandemic, which seems to be in better shape than it was. New York is actively trying to accommodate the USTA to make something work. Now we're hearing the players having some disagreements, and they're, of course, in this day and age, having it through social media. I want to get your take on a couple of different things, Jimmy. First of all, the the Novak Djokovic talking point of not really liking the uh, the limitations, and it keep it kept coming back to not being able to have a quote-unquote entourage, only being able to travel with one person. I know a lot of people are going to see that and say, oh, he's this is a rich person problem. This is somebody wealthy that can afford all these things. I think this is a justified criticism for Djokovic. We've seen lower-ranked players speak out about this. Of course, it's justified in some ways because there's, many, many players on the tour that don't and can't afford a entourage. Having said that, um, I would be concerned, and I don't know how the USDA has set this up, but you're playing three out of five set matches. You need a physio. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so, you know, a lot of the players just use the tournament physio, and I suppose that tournament physio, they're still going to have somebody there, I, I would assume. Um, but you do need someone that you're going to have Nick's and Payne's and Djokovic is used to having his guy that knows his body, um, knows how to treat him. So I understand why you're hesitant, especially you haven't played a match, and now you're going three out of five sets on hard court before for some, you know, bad things potentially mm-hmm. to happen. So, you know, I do understand that side of things, but again, um, I understand the majority of the tour saying, I'm, I'm so sad for you that you can't have 12 people coming with you this time when they only have one or sometimes nobody to travel with. Right. And I understand the, the I, I guess, the justified complaint from Djokovic in that regard and the players saying, look, this is, this is how it is. I don't really quite understand how you can how you can complain in good faith about having to basically be quarantined in a bubble because that would be the plan to stay in Manhattan and look we're in different times you're going to have to if you're going to play in this event uh, be in that quarantined environment now the flip side of that is the top players who have the money they don't have to play I think that's where we can just call it like it is Djokovic Nadal's expressed concerns top players that are financially set I heard uh, I saw Darren Cahill say something similar about Simona Halep's plan plan for something like this could be in jeopardy. The top players don't have to play, but then I wonder on the other side, Jimmy, is that going to make the U.S. Open lose some of its luster? And, and you know, will that weigh the decision? Do the top players have to play for the USTA to think we got to put this event on? Um, that's a tough one to answer, and I feel like the USTA is, if they're allowed to, and you know, it, it, they work it out with New York and make sure they're allowed to put it on. Um, I think they're going to try to have the tournament regardless of who plays. Um, I think it's a sort of a, of course, it's going to lose its luster for this year. There'll always be sort of an asterisk if, if mm-hmm. none of the, the biggest names play. Um, and so whoever, you know, Jan Kodish won the 1973 Wimbledon that was boycotted. Mm-hmm. Um, asterisk next to his name for that, really. Um, and I think that'll be whoever wins the U.S. Open if there's not a full field. It won't. Although I was telling David McPherson this just yesterday because he's a coach of Isner. And, you know, obviously Isner, if none of the big guys could play, he gets hot for a couple of weeks, gets a few big serves at the right time, he could win a U.S. Open. And, and uh, David was saying, yeah, that would be with an asterisk. And I said, not really, because 20 years from now, let's just say I won the U.S. Open. And everyone <laughs> will go, congratulations. So, you know, it's an interesting sort of thought, but certainly it'll lose a little bit of its luster. I'm sort of the other part in the problem, I think, for the U.S. Open is that m- most of the high-ranked players in the world on the men's side are European. Yeah. And the French is happening right after. So I think they're thinking, why go fly internationally, be in New York, which was, you know, one of the epicenters of, of Corona to begin with. Um, you know, why take that risk? I'll just stay in Europe, play on clay, better on your body get ready for French Open, another major that's just a couple weeks later. I think the French really hurt the U.S. Open chances of of having a full field. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, too, because we look at tennis as a sport that's, you know, made for social distancing and and could be played at a safe safe level compared to other sports. But the international appeal to this and having to have players fly in – the issues that I brought up about the entourage and the quarantine, and it's not necessarily top down in terms of 
the higher earners are having issues. A lot of European players, lower ranked, are like, I don't know if this is going to work. So I think the international aspect of tennis, which is one of the reasons why we love it so much, could actually hurt the game in, in restarting it at this point. I, I think no question. It it's sort of feels like it's the last sport to restart in some ways. You got the NBA. I mean, and it's strange because, as you said, in tennis, you're naturally distant from your opponent, really. So, um, and for the most part, it's outside in the sun. I mean, it's safest for you to play. If you're playing basketball in the NBA, which they're going to restart, and people had COVID that were in the NBA, yeah. Rudy Gobert, you know, a bunch of others. So all of a sudden you're, you know, pushing up against each other. That's the recipe for, for bad things to happen, but they're going to start because it's all contained in at least one country, really. For sure. Uh, last question for you here, Jimmy Arias, on the TC Live podcast with this pandemic, with trying to restart the tour. I wanted to ask you, as someone that played on the tour and is now is has coached on it, is with IMG, the idea and the topic of unity is brought up. Do you think the players on the tour, maybe even across the men's and the women's tour, do you think there's more unity now than there was back then, or are we getting more distant in that regard? No, I think there's still somewhat of a discord. There's always been a little bit of a discord. It sort of all stems a lot from who is at the top of the game. And so my era, there was a lot of discord because the top of the game were McEnroe and Connors, and they were they were sort of not really too concerned about the rest of the players. Um, Federer was sort of the first number one player in the world that seemed to worry and, and have thoughts about uh, other players, lower-ranked players, and how they were doing. So I think that sort of permeated for a while. But I think there's been a bit of a power struggle with Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, those guys on who sort of control things. And there's always seemed to be a couple of factions. Um, and at the moment, Djokovic has sort of been control of, of a lot of things. Um, but I, I think there's always, at least behind the scenes, it's not quite as hunky-dory, lovey-lovey as they make out, but it's, it's definitely better than it was when I played. When I played, the, the players all sort of hated each other on a lot of levels. It's still strange to me that someone uh, ranked you know, 50, 60 in the world, the 50 or 60th best player at their craft, is still kind of grinding for a living compared to other sports. Yeah, but, I know. That is kind of bad, actually. But it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction because we can go back 30, 40 years, and you know, that number is 30 or 40 having to grind. So. It is, it is exactly. moving in the right way along with Unity as well. Well, Jimmy Arias, this was a blast. Thanks for coming on the TC Live podcast. Uh, and make sure that the, uh, the mango tree gets tons of attention. And the next time you're on, we're going to talk about some of those fantasy basketball stories. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Mitch. Be good. The Tennis Channel Live podcast is on the TC Live podcast network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for all your episodes there. Streaming on all podcast platforms. For Jimmy Arias, I'm Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening. This was the TC Live podcast. We'll see you next week.